0: This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author, fanatical prospecting, objections, sales EQ, and inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. With me today is Mike Lander, and we're gonna be talking about negotiation, but first, this episode is sponsored by the Outbound Conference. Now, Outbound is the biggest, baddest conference in sales. And we're back in 2022 in September. And right now, Outbound tickets are on sale at outboundconference.com. Outboundconference.com. This is a, a conference you don't want to miss. We-, we-, we have people from all over the globe. Uh, back in 2019, before the pandemic, people from 47 different com- uh, countries came to Atlanta for Outbound. You'll be able to meet personalities like Victor Antonio, uh, Colleen Francis, uh uh myself, Mark Hunter, and uh, my good friend uh, uh Anthony Anarino. So go to outboundconference.com, pick up your tickets today. Mike, it is awesome to have you on the show all the way from London in the UK to talk about negotiation. But before we get started, I know that the people who are listening and watching are going to be interested in learning a little bit more about you and uh and and why they should pay attention to you when it comes to negotiation.
1: Sure. Thanks, Jeff. And thank you for inviting me onto the show. Uh, delighted to be here. So um, my background, anyone looks at my LinkedIn profile, uh, just Mike Lander on LinkedIn, you know, it's not a linear background. You know, I spent probably half my life in corporate world working for big companies like KPMG and Fujitsu, et cetera. Uh, and also or Fuji and, and half my life, I have spent as an entrepreneur. And that's an unusual mix. The biggest thing, the biggest reason that your listeners should kind of listen to kind of some of the concepts and the ideas and the stories that I've got is that I was an ex-buyer. So when your salespeople that are on your, in your audience meet these procurement people when they're selling deals, I was a procurement director. So I've negotiated hundreds of deals worth over $500 million, often with firms that are private equity backed, tough deals to negotiate that generate real value for the clients and for the suppliers, hopefully. I was that buyer. Now, I work with salespeople. I work with salespeople, sales directors, you know, high growth companies. And I, I help them understand, A, how procurement works, but B, more importantly, how do you negotiate deals, better deals consistently, time on time, you know, deal after deal? So you need a framework and a step-by-step guide. And that's what I do now. So I'm effectively a buyer who's now an advisor to
0: sellers. Very good. That's, uh, that's an amazing background. And I think that I, I wrote a book called inked, which is a, a, a sales specific negotiation book. And it's been really popular, uh, with in the sales world, because as you know, as a, as a, you know, a person who is on the procurement side, salespeople for the most part are not professionally trained how to negotiate, whereas procurement people are professionally trained how to negotiate. Exactly. And, and it puts salespeople at a disadvantage. And then a lot of the negotiation books that are written are really written around negotiating like for lawyers or for mergers. And they are, you know, in some cases hostage situations, but they really don't focus on Chris's book. Yeah. Yeah. The mundane everyday negotiation movements that salespeople do billions of times a day across the globe and small ways that chip away at company profits. So let's start with a really big question. This is a big one. It's the typical question that you would ask at the end. I want to ask at the beginning, uh, mostly because of your background. And that is, what do you believe is the one secret that makes people better negotiators? Preparation.
1: Interesting that you would say that. Tell me why. So... Interesting, you talk about, you know, salespeople do deals every day. There are billions of deals done around the world by salespeople. What happens? Typically, they're not trained negotiators. The buyers often are. So they've got a mental model. They've got ideas about how they negotiate. But it's pretty inconsistent in terms of how it's applied. And your counterparty that you're negotiating with, if the deal's material, let's say someone's negotiating a sales deal that's worth, you know, kind of $300,000 a year. So, it's a decent sized deal, not huge, but decent size. The buyer on the other side has probably sat down and thought about it in some detail. So, as a seller, if you're going to face a negotiation where the other party is well prepared, they thought it through, and you walk in because you're busy, you're trying to close the deal, you're at the back end of the sales cycle, and you want to get the deal over the line, the chances are a few things are going to happen. They'll take you off guard. If they're a really well-trained negotiator, they'll use tactics that you haven't seen or that knock you off balance. It'll impact your confidence. It'll increase your anxiety. And they'll use time pressure to get you to agree to a deal that you don't really want to do, but it's just about enough to say it's acceptable. And that's where everyone talks about win-win negotiations. Jeb, to be honest, my view 98% Ninety-eight
0: percent of deals done are not win-win. Well, a I win-win I, deal. Yeah, and I think win-win means you lose. I mean, that's especially on yes. the sales side, and and I think procurement people love to talk to sales people about win-win because win-win is this really happy <laughs> place of mediocrity exactly. where your deal goes to die, and yeah. and it um it feels good like it's a kumbaya moment. You know, everybody won. But the reality is, is that for sales professionals, it is your job to win for your team, just like a exactly. person's job to win for their team.
1: Correct. And I absolutely agree with you, is that in most deals that are done by salespeople with buyers, one side claims more value than the other. Often, you know, sometimes, very occasionally, you make the pie bigger. If you make the pie bigger for both parties, sure, both parties have won. The buyer's got a better deal on more stuff. The seller's got more stuff that they've sold and they've taken a bit of a hit in their margin, but it's a bigger deal size. Those deals are so rare. Normally, it's a, I as a buyer, you know, because I'm well prepared, I'm going to get better payment terms. I'm going to get shorter contract lengths. I'm going to get termination at will rights and I'm going to negotiate a discount on you. And then I'm gonna hug your shoulder, Jeb. I'm gonna say, what a great deal that was. I'm really pleased we worked together. I look forward to seeing you in delivery. And the salesperson goes, We got a deal. It's a win. I'm really pleased we got a win. It's not well, a win-win, that's just win-lose.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's because sales professionals, for the most part, are focused on the least path of resistance to a commission check, right? So Let's go back to this question. What's the greatest secret? I, I I disagree with you just a little bit on this, and I wanna I, and I wanted to hear what your answer was because I yeah, think get into I think it's actually a, a, a deeper a deeper issue for salespeople. I think that the real secret to becoming a better negotiator is emotional discipline. Now we could argue that uh. preparation like creates emotional discipline, but the one thing that we know to be true is at the figurative or literal sales negotiation table. It is the human yeah. being at that table that exerts the greatest amount of emotional control that typically has the highest probability of gaining their desired outcome, right? For, so winning for their team. So for me, it all begins there. And when we think about negotiation from a selling standpoint, and this is, and, and I've, I've had this conversation with Patrick Tenney, cause I pushed back just a little bit because In a lot of cases. Yeah. You're dealing with procurement. You've got some time to prepare. You're walking into a formal negotiation. The problem is, is that in the vast majority of negotiations that are happening in sales, there really isn't that preparation time. It's happening in the moment, in line. And we're not just negotiating for price and profit and terms and conditions, but we're negotiating for our position at the table. We're negotiating mm-hmm. for our ability to meet with the different, uh, different stakeholders. In one case, just recently, we were negotiating for the, you know, for the RFP to be rewritten in a yeah. way that made it more fair for us to respond to it. And, and so there's lots of negotiations happening all the time, big and small. Absolutely, so I believe that it begins with emotional discipline, and for sales professionals, you were holding up a copy of Fanatical Prospecting earlier. That yeah. emotional discipline almost always is as uh, is man is manifested from, or are, you know, or, or, or is a creation of, or derived from a full pipeline. Because here's the thing. If I have lots of opportunity, Absolutely. right, if I've got lots of alternatives, I've got more power at the negotiation table and power at the negotiation table is derived completely from alternatives. Yeah. This is what procurement people do. You did this as a procurement person where you yeah. threw it in their face and said, look, your competitor will do it cheaper than you. You know, I've got time. We could do it ourselves. We don't really need you. You know, we, we could just hold off. We got all the time in the world. Like you need to get this deal done by the end of the quarter. You don't have any alternatives. We have alternatives. So when a salesperson has more deals in the pipeline, more opportunity, they sold more They're you know, they're over quota. They negotiate from a much better place because they're more emotionally disciplined. So I think preparation is part of that. Like I, I definitely think if you're walking into a deal, we call it murder boarding in our world, right? But if you're walking into a deal and you're going to close the deal, So you're walking in to ask for the business. You better walk through all the scenarios where they might tell, you no. all the scenarios where they might move from objection into negotiation. And then what are the different paths that they might go down in the negotiation so you can be prepared? And what I found, by the way, Mike, is that if you do that process, it's always a lot easier than you thought it was when you were practicing and preparing than when you exactly negotiation.
1: So let's have a kind of a bit of a, a discussion around this job. I think it's a great point. So I'm going to kind of uh, definitely uh, agree and disagree. So <laughs> I think, you know, confidence, absolutely. That You know, one of the number one, two or three factors around getting a, a, a great deal done, probably number one actually is confidence. Yeah. Confidence and, and reduced anxiety. So the reason I say preparation is the number one key is because, Confidence and anxiety are when you're at the table in front of someone. If I'm facing you, you're a very experienced, massively experienced sales leader, and you've done thousands of deals. Yeah. If I'm inexperienced, I'm going to feel in awe of that. I'm going to feel concerned. How do you reduce anxiety and how do you increase confidence? All the evidence says you prepare. So the reason I say preparation is because. I want to look at the what I would call the lead indicator, the thing that you can do ahead of the deal that will reduce anxiety, increase confidence and give you a better chance of getting a better deal. That's my
0: kind of style yeah. point. And I, and, I, and I agree with you. I think we have a, a sales negotiation planner that's a, that fits with our, with our deal strategy planner, that fits right. in with our, you know, our our business development planner. It all works together. And exactly. for, for example, it, it helps a salesperson understand what are the personas that they're dealing with. So who are the people they're dealing with? We, we, it helps them understand what are the stakeholder lists. So for me, yep. every stakeholder has a motivation to do business with you or not do business with you. Typically, because they're spending someone else's money to solve their problems and those are nonlinear lists, but that's part of the deal. So for example, when I'm dealing with the procurement officer and the procurement officer is telling me, well, you can, I can do it cheaper. I just say, listen, I have no no problem meeting your budget, but we need to go back to the stakeholders because they put all these things in the deal and I need to take them out. So let's get together with the stakeholders. And that usually ends the conversation because procurement's job is to serve the stakeholders. That's what their job is.
1: So So number one job, absolutely. And people, a lot of salespeople get this wrong. If they meet procurement people, who's got the budget? Yeah. Your stakeholder, your buyer's got the budget. Procurement are the, the governance custodian value people in the organization that need to get the best deal done. And the best deal isn't always the cheapest price, as we both know. And that's a really important dynamic, is that if someone's going to chip you on price, if I'm a procurement buyer and I'm going, I know this market really well, I'm an expert in the category, I can get this for 25% less, year. no problem at all then the response, as you say, should be, that, that's fine, Mike, we, we, we can do it for 25% less, there's no problem. Which bit of the scope do you want to take out? So yes. which services don't you want? Because any negotiation is a trade. Yes. You're exchanging variables. I talk about, you know, if you're a sound engineer in an in a audio studio mixing something, you've got dials, and you turn one dial up, you should turn the other dial down. And everything that you're doing in that preparation is working out what are the variables. And if they say this, I'm going to come back with that. The other thing is about when do you introduce things? And you'll have done this a a, a thousand times as a master of kind of negotiating in sales deals. You leave some stuff behind to the end because you need something when they, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Columbo, the detective yeah, series. I'm Columbo. It's the, so, yeah. I tell salespeople
0: all the time. <laughs> so amazing. You said that. Cause I'm always like salespeople. I'll be in a sales trade. and I am like, look, I know that you're all in your twenties and you have no idea what Columbo is, but if you want to learn the greatest master of asking questions, right? The person yeah. who, you know, he turns before he leaves and goes after they've all let their guard down. he says, you know, I got one more thing. Like if you want to understand how you let, Beverage, pauses and silence. Go watch Columbo, the greatest sell show ever made. I love that show, Mike.
1: It's brilliant, Jeb. I'm so pleased you mentioned that because it's it's just one more thing. Yep. As a buyer, if I'm really going to turn the screws on you, we get up, we start moving our papers. We think we've got a deal. I move to the, towards the door, and I go to you, Jeb. The, There's just one more thing that we need to agree. I'll I'll leave this with you as I'm walking out. And it's normally something huge and it's normally the biggest part of the deal. And it unwinds something that we've talked about previously. And then I go, give me a ring in a couple of days when you thought about it. And I leave and you're like, oh,
0: well, back to emotional (laughs) discipline. Right. Because what they've done is they do what Columbo does. Like, so you've got the suspect there. You know, Columbo's asking questions. They've got their wall up. They're prepared to answer his questions. They have everything. And then he turns away to leave and they think they let their guard down. They say, oh, okay, it's over now. And then he springs the other question and he does that in a way that's spontaneous and they're not prepared emotionally for it. And that's when they begin to crack, right? So when, when buyers do that to you, if you have emotional discipline, you show no emotions. You're, you know, it doesn't impact you at all. You, hey, we just made a deal. You know, we're not going back on that deal. And you know that the buyer to go through this whole thing again, that's hard on them, too. They don't want to do that. So I I think I think you're exactly right. I want to I want to jump into real quickly these uh, these games that procurement people play. So let's 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 just back up for a second. Most most salespeople don't deal deal with procurement on every day.
1: So I think five percent, ten percent of the deals maybe,
0: in larger deals with bigger companies you get, you get sent to procurement. There are some companies yeah. that the culture is everything gets sent to procurement. we do that on yeah. like, I'm doing keynotes, you know, and I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to go talk to an hour at someone's convention and I got a contract sitting in procurement. Uh, and we, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're like, your, your thing's coming up. You're going to, you're going to <laughs> squeeze this. All I got to do is say, I'm not coming. You don't have anybody Direct. to speak. So I, yeah. I, you know, so you have, you have no leverage in this situation and, and they never win, but they, but they go through the process and drive everybody crazy in the process. So, but there's a lot of games that, that procurement people play. Let me give you an example. Um, and I, I, I can talk about this all day, but there's, there's just a number of them, but in, in one situation, we had a a large company that came to us. We, it was a seven figure training deal and the, uh, which is rare, but a lot of people, And the thing is, is that the company was desperate to get their people trained because there was a skill set that they needed because the market was changing and they needed to get them trained, trained immediately. So they had told us, you know, we've told our leadership team by the end. Now, this is a stakeholder group. (laughs) So we spent, we spent uh, several months working with a stakeholder group, putting this thing together. It was, I mean, it was a big deal. They were looking at some competitors. We knew that. And we got to the point where we're the vendor of choice. Now we don't, we never negotiate until we're the vendor of choice. We do not like, I don't negotiate price terms, conditions, anything until I'm the vendor of choice. And that may be an explicit, you know, we really want to do business with you, but we need to work out a few deals and it could be implicit where we can tell through the conversations they're eliminating competitors or we have a coach or a sponsor in the deal, which happens often, who's talking to us and saying, listen, it's yours. They've already made the decision to do business with you. They're just not telling you that because they want to keep their cards close to the vest. So with the whole thing, they picked us. Um, we sent the contract to them. Everything is good. And then my sales rep gets a call from the director of procurement and the director of procurement says, OK, I'm going to be taken over now to work on things. You're, you can't talk to your stakeholders anymore. Like, yeah, yeah, very, very big, you know, very and I'll let you break this down in a minute, but you can't talk to them anymore. You can only talk to me. And yeah. uh, and so my, you know, my rep is OK, no problem, because the, the stakeholders said, well, hey, you got the deal. <laughs> and the uh, the the procurement person, the director of procurement says, OK, here's the thing. Listen, we would normally take this out to bid because it's this big. But there is a line where in our policy that if you can get below that line, then I can just give you the contract and we don't have to bid this out. My rep's listening intently and she walks through the process and uh, sh- and she says, but it's going to require you to to reduce your price by this much, which was 30%. 30%, 30%. Percent of the deal, yeah, right? Strange you say 30%, Jeb. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 30, so, Who knew 30% would so, be the number. Yeah. So my <laughs> rep calls me up and says, says, okay, listen, we can get this thing signed right now. All we got to do is take 30% off. And I'm like. Get your calculator out. This is a seven-figure deal. We're not. We're talking about over three hundred thousand dollars that you're going to lose, and then I want you to get take your commission out of that. She goes, "Yeah, but they'll sign right now." And I go, "Well, that's not going to happen." I said, "Call your stakeholder." Oh, well, the, the the purchasing person said I can't call the stakeholder now there's a couple of things that we had in our back pocket. One of them was that we had multiple people on our team working with the stakeholders. So purchasing talked to just our sales rep. So I said, okay, well, we're going to honor what purchasing said. So I got our executive vice president to call the stakeholder. And this is the main person that we were dealing with. They had a group, but this was the person who essentially had made the decision. So the contract buyer, the purchasing is the economic buyers. And I said, Keith, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call the stakeholder. And tell the stakeholder that um, that we just heard that this thing is going to go out to bid that you're going to you guys are going to RFP it and, uh-huh. and tell the stakeholder that we're excited about it. Like we're thrilled because this is going to give us the ability to show them what we're really made of. But the only thing is because we, you know, we've got to get this thing done, you know, in the next couple of months that typically our experience in these RFPs is that you think it's going to take a couple of weeks, but it always takes a couple of months because everybody's got to get their things in, you know, their bids yeah. in, contracts, everybody's got to go through the process. Contracts. Yeah. So why don't we start picking some alternative dates? Yeah. The stakeholder says, okay, well, I didn't know anything about that. Let me go see. He hangs up. The salesperson, call the purchasing person and tell them that we are thrilled about the RFP being issued, that we're really interested in it. However, that we're really busy right now, which was true. It's not a lie. And we just, our team's not going to be able to absorb this immediately. Mm -hmm. So what are you thinking on the timeline for getting RFPs delivered? Because it's going to take us about four weeks in order to respond to a formal RFP. Hangs the phone up. Two hours later, contract signed, full price. And two hours after that, the director of purchasing calls us up and asks us if we will come in and train their procurement people how to run <laughs> how to negotiation. Yes, and we and we ended up getting that deal. We, we trained their procurement organization wow. how to do that. But if you think about it, it was just a really crafty move that purchasing people do to sales people all the time. And my yeah. salesperson, because of emotional discipline, right? She just wanted the deal. Like she's so motivated to get the deal. deal done. Like that's the win we can, I mean, this is easy. I don't have to deal with any conflict, but that, Hey, we don't have to send this out to bid. If you do this now, yeah. the salesperson is like, Oh, I'm secure and I'm protected in this thing. And I find that you know that purchasing people run these plays over and over again, so that's my story. Now I'm going (laughs) to shut up. Okay. Because like you were on the other side, like you were Darth Vader for salespeople. That's who you were. Right. So being the evil monster that was purchasing, could you walk us through some of these tricks (laughs) of the trade? These like little levers. And I know you teach people how to do this, but these levers that, that purchasers use to tug at the salesperson's heartstrings and get them to dance. So it's a great story
1: because it's real. And all great stories are real. A few things that kind of like on their side, there were some mistakes on their side. So you've done a great job as a sales team because you've got multiple salespeople talking to multiple people on their side. So that decision-making unit is complex inside the enterprise. And you're now building relationships on multiple touch points. Um, you've kind of like worked. So you've managed to stop the stakeholder with the budget from talking to procurement in advance of getting a deal kind of like really down to it's just you because you've shaped it with the client. So I get a phone call from your budget holder. Oh my, you know, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a million dollar deal. Um, I can't sign that off. Procurement have to, could you just get it over the line for us? By the way, you know, if you can get a bit of money off, that'd be great. Let's say your stakeholders called Jane. I say, Jane, it's too late. You rang me at the end of the deal. Remind me, what do you say to Jeb and his team? Yeah, well, there's a bit of a deadline on this, Mike. We've got to start it in two weeks' time. I said, oh, so what leverage do I have? And Jane says, yeah, I see your point. Yeah, it's a bit tricky. So I say, okay, leave it with me. I'll see what I can do. Now, what they should have done was called, I mean, they're a big company. Let's say they're a big enterprise. So they're going to have sales trainers Sales coaches uh, on their list, yeah. Because procurement will we, we have what we call our PSls, our preferred suppliers list. Before calling you, before doing anything, I said to Jane, write down the scope of works. What exactly is it that, that you want done? What's the outcome? What are the targets? Get it to me within 24 hours. Jane says, okay. You're waiting for a call from me. Nothing arrives. I get that, and I talk to my friendly alternative. And I go, look, this is the deal. This is where we are. You know, it's late stage, and this is starting in two weeks. What could you do around this? Have you got a team that you can mobilize? We know you've got the credentials, we weren't you before. Put together a deal structure for me as an alternative. It's a long shot, James, but do something for me. That arrives 24 hours later. So 48 hours later, I've got in my hand now a real alternative. So I now have a Batner. Now I call your sales rep and say, I've been told by uh, Jane that we want to get a deal done. Uh, I understand what the scope is. We've got that written down. Um, uh, I assume you've got the same scope as I have. Uh, We know what the targets are. These are the targets. This is the impact we're trying to achieve. And obviously, we've got people on our PSL already that do this kind of work. And I've spoken to them. And we've got an alternative that we don't want to use, but it's, it's real. I've got an extension on the deadline. We're now four weeks, not two weeks. Uh so uh, Jane's agreed to that. You know, by all means, you know, one of your people could talk to Jane. I'd prefer it if you don't, because from a governance point of view, I don't want you going around the back of me. So just make sure that none of your people talk to Jane or her team, or more importantly, please don't ask Jeb to call our chief exec because I know the two of you know each other. You have dinner together. Just make sure Jeb doesn't do that, will you? Do me a favor. And so, a smart procurement person A gets an alternative, B closes several doors, not just one, and D and C gets a bit of time so that they've got some time to negotiate. So now I've got some power.
0: Now, Mike, let me let me throw something out to you. Okay, so I'm going to throw an alternative. Okay, so yeah, yeah, because that's that's great. Now, if it were me, now I'm a little bit different than the average sales bear. Okay, but if yeah, it were oh, me yeah. and, a, and a purchasing <laughs> person like did that to me. They, yeah. they they wrote that to me. I would cut off all communication. Period. Like I would right. not respond to anything from anybody until. So why is that, Jeb? Why would you do that? Because I know that they need me. I I'm not negotiating until I'm the vendor of choice. Like so so I I'm, I'm not selling to procurement, and I won't sell to yeah, procurement. Yeah. Right. I'm only selling to stakeholders. And so I had this, I call it a triangle, right? So it's me, the stakeholders and procurement, right? And I'm, I'm leveraging the stakeholders motivation to move procurement because procurement works for the stakeholders, not for, not, not for themselves. So in a situation like that, what I would do is go completely dark. And what's going to happen is the stakeholders are going to get nervous and they're going to come directly to me, which is which means that I'm not violating what the purchasing team <laughs> says. Don't talk to them. They're talking to me. And once that happens, then everything gets broken. Right. The whole all of this, you know, the, the whole crystal ball that they build around this breaks. Because what I'm indicating to the purchasing organization is that I'm not chasing you. In other words, you think your BATNA is you have this. I've got a thousand other companies I can do business with. I got a thousand other deals in my pipeline, and I don't need this crap. And I'm not playing this game. And I don't play those games. And you know what? Purchasing dances if they need so, if I Now, if I'm just one of many, like if I'm just doing RFPs or if I'm putting bids on the table yeah. and I don't understand the stakeholders and I haven't run the sales process properly, like if I've done yeah. that, then of course I'm, you know, I'm all I am. is just another puppet in the game that they're manipulating to, to get the lowest yeah. price from, but I'm not playing those games. People who play those games lack emotional discipline because they're desperate. Like they don't have anything else, but I don't want to stop your story. Just, I, I wanted to stop for a second and say, because you're, yeah. you're making my anxiety level is increasing. you can you're tell, tell the story. Weird. And I'm like, screw that. I'm not playing that game.
1: But and This is part of the, but, of a pub, this is what I love about these kind of discussions yeah. because it's emotive yeah.
0: and it makes people angry. Yeah. But that, but most people would play that. So keep going down the road. I just wanted to put that commentary on there. <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing that, but exactly. most people
1: will. So let's press, that was press pause. Yeah. Let's now press play for the second part of the story. Sure. So how might this play out? (laughs) I can see you're like, I'm really annoyed about this. I'm really angry. So, (laughs) so, (laughs) so one thing to bear in mind, because your, your audience is probably going, I hate that guy, Mike, I want to kill him. He's like the worst person in the world. So, Taking a step back a minute, as William Ury, the Harvard guy who wrote Negotiation, Getting to Yes. If your audience haven't, they should definitely read that book. It's a brilliant book, Getting to Yes. Um, He said, Step to the Balcony. So for a second, let's just kind of both step to the balcony. Procurement's got a job to do, like anyone's got a job to do. And it may sound aggressive and unpleasant and a game and just a tactic. But what's behind it is they're trying to protect the organization from... Relationships between suppliers and budget holders that get formed maybe too quickly or without due process. So procurement's going. Now we're going to press play. So what happens next is the stakeholder says to me, "Mike, Jeb's not responding. He, he, he you know, he's, he's just he's kind of he's not playing. He's not playing a game. So we just need to get the deal done with them. Can I? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna crack on, and we're gonna just do the deal." I'm going to say to Jane, look, Jane, so this is how it'll play out. I can't stop you from doing that. And we know that Sales Gravy as an organization is a brilliant organization. There's no question about credibility. There's no question about integrity. There's no question that you've built something that's going to work because we know of them. We, we have checked you out. So I wouldn't call you unless I've checked you out and done some DD on the organization. I'm going to say to Jane, look, however, the problem we've got now is, You've agreed a million dollars. The CFO is going to say to me, Mike, did you do your job? Did we get best value with the right supplier at the right term? So when the CFO asked me that, I'm going to say, well, Jane decided, it's her budget, that due to a time constraint, she went with sales gravy. And I'll say to the CFO, they're a great organization. This isn't a quality issue. This is a governance issue. What can happen then is the CFO talks to Jane and says, we've got a problem now. We're a PLC. You know, this is a million dollars. So it's not going come up in the shareholders report, but it's a problem for us. You've gone outside of a good governance process. One of two things will happen. Either the CFO and Jane will agree, yes, do the deal with sales gravy, carry on at the price that you've agreed, or the CFO will say, Jane, Move your deadline. I'll agree with the chief exec and you. We're going to move the deadline. It's an important deal because it's not just this 12 months. We're going to use Jeb's team again. We're going to carry This is like a three-year program, not a one-year program. So we're locking ourselves into something for over three years. So the CFO might say, deadline out by two weeks. We are going to go to RFP. I've told Mike's team it would be fast-tracked, but it has to be, best organization across multiple aspects, quality, reliability, price, uh, sustainability, d risk management. We're going to look at all the factors. We're going to run a fast track, and we're going, to, we're going to do it with three different vendors. See privately what they're going to say is, it's highly likely that Sales Gravy are going to win. It's highly likely it's going to be around a million dollars. So in your budget, Jane, yeah, you need to keep that million. We may be able to get it slightly cheaper, but I doubt it. There's something called cost savings inside procurement, which is a really interesting uh, concept. All salespeople think cost savings is, it's a million dollar deal. If it's for $900,000, it's a cost saving. It's not. If I, in procurement, have not bought that service like for like last year, there's no reference point. So getting your price from a $1,000,000 to $900,000 is what we call cost avoidance. I'm avoiding paying your list price, and I'm getting it 10% cheaper. In our internal savings tracker, that doesn't count. The CFO can't count those dollars as a saving. And that's a really interesting point when you're negotiating. If you find out that they haven't bought this before, There's no precedent of this kind of work being done. The price that you've got, as long as it's, you know, in the top quartile of market prices, you're far more protected than if it's, we've done it time and time before. This is the fourth year we've done it. We know what the baseline is. We're just rebidding it. And to your point, you wouldn't do that kind of work because it's been semi-commoditized at that point. Why would you bid for that? Yeah. And let me give you a, a, a third option that might happen. And that, that's,
0: and what's m- most normal is, and this may be a U.S. base versus, you know, you mentioned PLC, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, in the UK and then in the European union, there are some more, you know, different types of compliance, but exactly what, what, what I would, what would typically happen in that situation. And I'm, I'm always betting on the come, like I'm betting on probability. And that's the yeah, only yeah. way I play the game of sales I play it just like a chessboard. What's the probability this is going to happen. And, exactly. and it's like Occam's razor, right? The thing that's most likely to happen, or most likely to cause, be the causal agent, is is usually it. So I'm I'm typically right. Sometimes I'm wrong, Absolutely. but I'm typically right. And if I'm wrong, you know, I can always adjust. So yeah. what I what would typically happen is if there was this conflict at that level. And the purchasing people said, listen, you can't sign the deal at this. I mean, we're just, we're not doing that and we won't sign up for it. So if you do it, you're, you're, you know, your butt's flagging in the wind all by yourself. What'll happen is either the purchasing folks will call or this person will call and say, can we meet? We want to talk and we go from, and we move from rules to reasonable, right? So if if someone negotiates with me in good faith and it's reasonable and they're not playing tricks, then I can sit down and say, okay. Look, I'll, I'll show you how I built the prices for this. I have no problem there. I mean, I can completely trans. This is what I did. Here's how I make a profit. Here's my number. You tell me what you're not liking about this and we'll work this out because we really want to do business with you. You really want to do business with us. Let's figure this out. And I'm in that
1: moment, Jeb. And in that moment, that's exactly the route that I'd want to go down. And I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to irritate Jane. Jane's got a business to run. And she's found the solution that she wants to work with. I don't want to say, no, you're working with John Smith's company Mm -hmm. because Jane will go, great. Well, now, Mike, my problem is now your problem because you've appointed a different supplier. So I want, I mean, bizarrely, your your listeners might not believe this. I want you to win, but I want you to win in a way that's right for the organization and right for you. I actually want you to make a profit. I don't want suppliers not making profits. I mean, the, the deal of like 30% off, the procurement person should be fired. Yeah. Because all your margin's gone. Why would I want to buy someone who's got no incentive in this deal, apart from to do the work? That's a shockingly bad deal. If I can sit with you, I guarantee we'd get a, we'd, yeah. we'd get a good deal done, and, and I can talk to the CFO and go, we've done
0: our, D- our DD. Yeah. And that's what I'm always looking for is reasonable. That's, that's why I say vendor of choice. Like what I want, my, my favorite words from anybody are, I really want to do business with you, but like that, that says, Hey, you've made the decision emotionally for me.
1: Exactly. Now we just got to work out the
0: details. I mean, you know, and that's, and that's reasonable. And in this situation, if you think about it, what, what does Jane want? Jane wants cover. Like she wants you to sign off on it. So she got, she has cover. What do you want? You just want to protect the organization and make sure that you have peace of mind. That That's right. That, that something, you know, something was negotiated that was reasonable. What do I want? Yeah. Like, I really want to do business with you, but I want a partner. Like I don't want yeah. to go into a situation where I'm being manipulated and I won't, I might walk in and exactly. So, so I think that that when we start talking about win-win, a lot of cases salespeople think win-win means I'm giving something up from the deal. But in a lot of cases, win-win simply means that everybody in, in some way is getting what they want and they feel good that's enough right. about that. So you talked about like dialing things in my terminology, and this is just my, you know, my vernacular, yeah, yeah. I call it a give, take playlist, right? So yeah. I want to give and take and I want to build, that's my preparation is what does that look like? So if they ask for this, what am I going to do here? I want to find right. out all the funny money I have. And I, I, I use funny, it's an old Zig Ziglar yeah. term, but funny money is all the things that I can give away don't cost me anything, right? They're the owe to thing. you, but don't yeah. cost me a thing. And yeah. and typically I'm cool finding out those things, like, you know, training for your people to get the, you know, to get the product yeah. installed or type of thing. So, and the whole idea is with the give takes is to get to a point where you compel the other party to stop negotiating and make a deal. Right. And yeah. so I think, I think purchasing plays a big role in that. Let me throw a couple of scenarios out to you. I want to just, I want to, cause this is a great conversation and I want to give you some more to talk about. Cause I think that people seeing the other side of this matters. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going to give you an exact example of what, how we, how we get out of purchasing. So okay. first of all, I will not sell to purchasing, just won't do it. And that is a policy. Just, I'm not doing it. And I also won't do um, reverse bidding. So I I won't play those games. And uh, the, uh, I mean, and the auction process. Ever, never, never, ever, ever. If ever.
1: any of your salespeople are asked to go into an auction, by procurement, don't do it. Just don't do don't it. Don't ever, no. ever, ever, ever agree to join a reverse auction. Nope.
0: It's a disaster. It is. And all it does is it takes all the profit out of the deal and the customer no, ends just, up, so we just don't play this game. So you have to know where the line is drawn. Yeah. So. Um, this is back before sales gravy, but I worked for a company that was in the early childhood education space and we built on-site childcare facilities. So we would go right. into a big company, build on-site. It was a wonderful job. It was the only deal where- yeah, amazing. You close oh, the amazing. deal, people hug you. Like all the parents, yeah. you know, because the stakeholder group are the parents. That's and right. I, I got hired to to come in. The CEO hired me. Uh, the company was owned by private equity. There was yeah. a, a lot of problems there. They were underwater in their debt. The only part of the company that was making any money were the on-site, on-site childcare facilities, but, and this is important, they hadn't sold a new logo for 12 years. Now what? they had an entire bid team that was set up because they would get RFPs in every single month. So entire bid yeah, team, yeah. RFPs are coming in and the, and to do it, like the return an RFP for early childhood education was a month long process that took absolutely many resources in the organization. And the responses and paper were like that thick.
1: Well, so, I used to run a special needs school. I yeah, owned a was, special
0: needs school. Yeah, so I know what that market's like. Unbelievable. So, I got I get there and I'm looking at this situation. And I'm like, what in the world is wrong? And I'm trying to figure this out. How can you not sell a deal in 12 yeah. years when you get RFPs every single month? And I'm talking about at least one a week. People coming in. And this was, you know, this was this was back in the late 90s and early 2000s when this market was really really hot. So, um, it's like 500 deals they have lost. Yeah. Just, un, it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, just statistically. So I go and go and go. And finally, a deal comes in and I look at the deal and I'm go, they're going through the response. And I go, I just asked the question, does anybody know these folks? Exactly. No. <laughs> did, did anybody call the them? Are you writing your response? Well, it says in the RFP that you can't call in order to get information, you have to give them all this information. Oh. I'm like, okay, well, why didn't you just call anyway? Well, we don't want to upset them. I said, well, what's the wow. worst thing that would happen? Well, we could lose the deal. I said, folks, you lose you them anyway. You. <laughs> so I put in place a policy because it dawned on me like that night I was in my hotel room thinking about it because I, I was flying in and out of this place. I'm like, this is the deal. Who in an organization makes the decision to spend $10 million to put in on-site childcare? The only human being in the organization that has that authority is the CEO. Nobody Correct. else. I don't care because all these things come in for HR, right? And HR is yeah. usually looking for free consulting. The, yeah. We will not respond to another RFP unless we talk to the CEO. Yeah. And so th- my, my, team was like, yeah, my team was like, they were, they were like, we're not doing this. This is terrible. I said they were afraid of the conflict. I said, I don't care. You tell them we're not responding. And they were like, well, we won't get any more RFPs. I'm like, listen, there are three companies in the entire U.S. that can do what we do at scale. They need us in the RFP for due diligence, for governance. They got to be able to go to the board. Three bidders. Yeah. And three bidders, one of which is going to win. Exactly. So we, we put that in as a policy and we forced some big CEOs to meet with us. Like, I mean, at the yeah. top of some tall buildings, but the very first deal we won, um, we, it was a company that was um, called Advo. They were, um, and I don't even if they're still around, AT&T eventually bought them, but they were up in Connecticut. Okay. And we said, we're not going to, we cannot bid unless we meet with the CEO. Well, the CEO agreed. So yeah. we the in the, the RFP is 10 million dollars. Yeah, it's and, a lot it's a exactly. lot of money. <laughs> the RFP was written for one of our competitors. But yeah. the RFP agreed to meet us. We flew to Connecticut. We sat down with the, the CEO, amazing man, right? Really cared about his employees. This was like yeah. a huge project for him. And we spent about an hour having a conversation, learning about him, just doing discovery, building yeah. relationships. Discovery. And then exactly. he walks us into the stakeholder group. So he's got a group of the parents who are helping him make the decision. We meet all of them, walk through the campus. We end up winning the deal. They they trash the RFP and hire us directly. Yeah. And we built the most amazing, you know, early childhood education center ever ever built for this group of employees. They were so happy. And then we started winning deal after deal after deal after deal. And like you said, you know what, what procurement's job was, and this happens to us every day. We get, we get RFPs regularly where they say, you know, fill out the RFP and we just say no. And we say, if we can't talk to people, we're not playing. And
1: in about, I built an RFP qualification scorecard. For this reason, I've built one in type form. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you the link afterwards. Awesome. It does that. It allows you to, to kind of answer the questions. It gives you a score. And one of the one of the questions is, have you had a Have you had a chance to meet yes. the senior buyer in the organisation and have a conversation, a meaningful conversation? And if the answer is no, the waiting on that element is massive. And it says, well, don't don't bid unless you can. Yeah. Don't, Why if, would you, you bid that. for something? Well, you can't talk to anyone. It's and, insane. And why you do that is you have an empty pipeline
0: and you're desperate, right? Even though yeah. Batman, right. exactly. exactly. So so you you so you you do those things. If like we had one that came in back in August and it was for a big multinational food company that wanted to redo their training program and they sent it the RFP and we started looking through it, and I'm like, God I man, this is like this is 40 hours of work to fill out this RFP. Does yeah. anybody know these folks? No. And, and so we went back to the, the stakeholder who sent the RFP over and said, well, we need to meet with your stakeholder group. And she goes, that's not going to be possible. We need to have all the responses in by the end of the week, or you won't be considered. And we just very, very nicely said, listen, we're not, we're not playing. It's not for you. It's not and for us this time. We just do exactly. this. This is, we got too many things on our plate. We're, yeah. we're busy. This isn't going to work. So Correct. we didn't hear Did anything they come back out of interest. Did they come back to you and go, no, 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 we, we'd really like you to bid. <laughs> oh, they did. We really, we really want you to do that. I mean, they said, yeah. we really, really, really want you to be there. And my salesperson really, really wanted to do it. And I'm just like, no, i no. just, we just don't, I'm not putting forth any effort in this. No. Because all it is, is blind. And when you read it, correct. it's written based on the relationship they currently have with one of our yeah. competitors. I mean, I'm not stupid. I know what other people do so I can read the things and say, well, this is exactly. So, uh, so we, we said, no. And I always say, I always say to my salespeople, listen, just say no. If they're interested, yeah. they'll come back. And when they come back, right. like they're going to come back on our terms. So exactly, uh, three weeks went by. We didn't hear anything from anybody. I forgot about it. They came back and they said, hey, we really want you to do the RFP. We're going to extend the timeline for this. Will you please respond to us? And we said, the only way we'll respond to you is that we want to have a meeting with every single meet your stakeholder, stakeholders, everyone. Yeah. We want all of them. So the the purchasing team went away and a week later they came back and said, OK, we'll give you 20 minutes with each stakeholder. And we said, no. Now, my salesperson is like, all right, we're in. I said, no, we're going to test this again because I'm yeah. I'm always testing engagement. Like how far can we get them to move? That's right. And I said, you tell them we want three hours with every stakeholder, not 20 minutes. And it's the only way that we'll respond. And they went away. And two weeks later, they came back and said, "Okay, three hours with every stakeholder, full access. And then will you respond? And we said, absolutely. And 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 now like they're rewriting the RFP, they're rewriting the requirements because we were able to ask them provocative questions. They exactly. helped them be aware that what they were asking for in the RFP wasn't going to deliver the outcomes that they wanted. Not that we need to ask them not to do the RFP. I'm okay yeah. with the RFP, but yeah. if you're going to ask me to fill something out, at least do it in a reasonable way that says that we really want to get information that's going to help us. Yeah. And in this case, we didn't Shape it around our solution per se, which I have done with a lot of RFPS. But more, really, as a consultant to the stakeholder group. That's right. You're, you, what you're what you're asking for these are the difficult questions you what need you to what ask. Yes, that's right. So I think that um, I'm not a big fan of RFPS in in my space in particular. And, and there are other places where RFPS really matter, like anything you're dealing with the government or government, you know, with, with exactly, early yeah. childhood education, where there's a lot at risk, highly regulated. Yeah. yeah. So, but. The thing is, is that I think with salespeople back to, you know, our conversation around emotional control is how can you, when, how do you bend probability in your favor? Like, I love your, you know, I love your scoring card for RFPs because essentially that's what you're saying. This is low yeah. probability. Don't waste your time. This is high probability. Invest the time. If, if you, if you don't have the emotional discipline to control the process, all you're exactly. going to do is dance. And you know what? The, the, I'm sure you've got some stats on this, but the win rate on blind RFPs where you have no relationship is basically zero.
1: Uh, correct. It's about 5%. Yeah. So Why would you bother? Yeah, go, go buy some
0: lottery tickets. Correct. So um, let me give you another, another situation and I'm looking at the clock here. I just want to make sure we don't go over time.
1: Um, so, um, I mean, enjoying this is good. It's I, and I
0: could do this all day long. I, let me give you another story. So another story is, and I just want you to, I want you to talk about this particular move. So we're working with a big telecom company that we've had a relationship with for years. Okay. And they called us up. And, and by said, relationship, you mean you've delivered work, you've invoiced for work, did work in, a commercial work, you know, and 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 you know, it's, you know, six figures worth of worth of invoicing. Yeah. But they call us when they need help. And yeah. they had a, a big project that they were working on, and they needed some help with it. And they called us because they trust us because we when yeah. we say we're going to do something, we deliver. Exactly. So we had we had about two months worth of meetings with their with their internal group, and we're you know we're. You know we're mid level in the organization. We're at you know a mid level (laughs) vice president, director. Um, These are all people that can make decisions. We work with them in the past. There's no, there's all complete transparency, and we sign up for the project, give them a proposal. Here's what it's going to take. They're they're all in, signed off on it, and then they said, listen, you know the thing is is this has to go through procurement. We we're not able to make this decision because of the dollar volume here. It just has to go through. So they'll be contacting you. Just hold on. So he said, okay. And again, in my world, a lot of these things are time sensitive. So, you know, this was exactly. a big deal for the stakeholder group. We get a, an email from the purchasing group, an email, an email, not, not even a call, no call, an email. To, no call three weeks later. So it, it takes them three weeks to send us an email and they sent it to my sales rep who freaks out. Like she is just like, what are we going to do? The email says, um, listen, Thank you so much for uh, taking time to work with our stakeholder group. We really appreciate you. Uh, we um, we value Sales Gravy. We think you're a great company and uh, and we love the work that we do with you. Thing is that we've taken a look at a bunch of your competitors and they're all willing to come in and do this at significantly lower cost than you are. And what we really want you to do is just sit down, sharpen your pencil and then come back to us with a better cost. So my, my rep is like wow. got this in her hands and she's like, she's calling me frantically. Like, what are we going to do? Like, we need to sit down and go through the pricing and everything, blah, 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 blah. Freaking out. I get emotional. Discipline. Anxiety. So yeah. she's now completely yeah. stressed. Yep. Yeah. And I For said, no reason. reason. She says, what do you want to do? And I said, do nothing. Do nothing. So we're not, we're, we're not responding to this huh. until next week. So we let a full seven days. Can we took them three weeks to get us full seven days go by and I, t- I gave her the 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 note to write. I said, here's what I want you to write. Thank you so much for the opportunity to work with your company. Uh, we appreciate that we have competitors that may be willing to meet your budget. I and mean, we're absolutely willing to meet your budget. The thing is, is that in order to meet your budget, we're going to have to pull some of the solutions out of yeah. this, this sure proposal. Us. So what we would like to do is arrange a meeting with you. And the stakeholder group, and, we, and named the stakeholder. we we set their names so that we can all get together and to come, come come to consensus on what are the things that we can take out. Correct. And my my rep was like, "There's no, you can't send this note. I can't do this." I like said, "Push send." She sent push send. the button again. Time right? Two weeks later, go by, and then uh, and, and we get a call from purchasing. So okay, well we're we're ready to put the contract together. So all of that like never happened. Like they act like it never happened. <laughs> So let's put the contract together. And, you know, and, and at least at that point, we didn't have price. Then, you know, then we went through this entire like two month period of jacking us around on terms and conditions. And, yeah, you know, they wanted yeah. to sign their MSA and, you know, I, you know, our intellectual property, all those things that purchasing does. Yeah, so we went that until the point where the stakeholders are starting to, to bang my phone, when are you starting? And I'm like, I can't start without a contract. Yeah, right. I can't, I can't start. This is, I mean, this is intellectual property. I can't start no, the contract. contract, and they're like, "Well, we got to start." Can you do anything for us? I said, oh, "Listen, you're, it's in your purchasing team's hands right yeah. now." I'm just you, waiting. You talk to them. your purchasing team. <laughs> so, so the the one of the folks calls the senior vice president and says, "You got to talk to purchasing and get this thing done because that that to point purchasing was just jacking us around on the hmm. and." I mean, a day later, the contract was signed and sent back on, you know, on our terms and our terms were negotiated. Like we, 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 we did a little give and take on there, but there were some non-negotiables there. But it's interesting that, you know, we get an email and how that freaked my salesperson out. Now, maybe talk a little bit about how, why does purchasing keep you at, at arm's length like that? Why the email? And when I saw it, I just smiled. I'm like, this is like purchasing 101. Like this is, they went to school and learned how to do this because they Correct. figure they can just skim off the top all the people that are just willing to come back and give them 10%, 20%, 30%. What, what's, tell me about that process and how so, salespeople so, can avoid getting caught up in that emotional, um, yeah. you know, maelstrom, maelstrom. Exactly.
1: So I think, you know, two or three things that I'd mention. So first of all, you are uh, an existing high quality supplier. Into that organization. In fact, you know, you'd argue that you were more of a partner than a supplier. Um, you'd built programs with them; they've been very successful. So um, the salesperson should first of all go. Well, we are the incumbent. Shifting the incumbent out of an organization where they're doing other strands of work already is unbelievably hard. So the salesperson should one have self confidence to go. This isn't real. Mm -hmm. this isn't a real, there's alternatives. You know, this is a chip. So I always say, name the game. They're just trying to chip us. Mm -hmm. So that's point number one. Point number two is when you get the email as a salesperson from this procurement person, this purchasing person, go to LinkedIn, look them up. So you sell sales training, sales coaching, sales improvement programs. If the purchasing person is relatively new in purchasing, has never bought sales and marketing services before. They've bought uh, facilities management before. Um, and they've only been enrolled for like a year. And before that, they were in uh, other, another part of the organization in service delivery. You've got someone who is not a category expert. And if they're not a category expert, they don't know anything about your area of expertise. So they can't, they're not an informed buyer. They're just running a process. And the purchasing process 101 says, don't accept the first offer, put the supplier under pressure, get 20% off because you'll probably get 10 Um, and send them an email because phoning them, you don't, you won't know what to talk about because you're going to get caught out. So just run the process. And that's all they did. Mm -hmm. And then when you didn't reply internally, someone said to this junior purchasing person, how are you getting on with that deal? And they're like, well, they haven't replied. And the conversation goes, well, you you better make them reply or talk to them. Pick up the phone and sort this out. There's a deadline against this. Get the deal done. And the salesperson should have just waited, as you did, mm-hmm. and said, you know, we'll send our response in due time. Um, we're not going to play your game. We're a trusted supplier. We're effectively a trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. We're very happy to negotiate commercial terms with you. No problem at all. On a basis of... Let's all get around the table. The key thing you said to me was you would sit down down around the table, you with the economic buyer, the budget holder, and the procurement person, the purchasing person, and you'll work something out. That's what I used to say when I was a director to my team. I'd go, look, if there's a deal to be done and the stakeholders got someone they want to do it with and we've got an experience with them already, don't play a game, but make sure we get the right commercial terms in place. They've got an MSA in place already. Why do you need a new one? You don't. It'd be ridiculous. It's a schedule against the existing MSA. There might be a few terms we need to tweak. What salespeople often don't realize is when you're negotiating a contract, clients typically won't, if it's on their paper, you can't mark up their paper. They say, RTs and Cs are mandatory. You sign, you don't sign. It's a red line. What they don't say is, The schedule overrides the MSA. So put your variations to the the contract in the schedule and then you'll get what you need. Yep. And stuff like that, take away the anxiety, understand they're just running a process. They're not a category expert. Look them up on LinkedIn. That'll freak them out as well. Um, And then just say, let's get a tripartite meeting together. We'll work this through. Wonderful. Because you don't have an alternative really. Wonderful. And that just takes
0: us back to something that said earlier, power is derived from alternatives. So Certainly. when you're and you're at the negotiation table, the more alternatives you have, the more power you have, right? And it weakens the other person's position. So right. for sales professionals, if you run the sales process, your job in the sales process is to ask questions, build a business case, motivate the stakeholders who want to do business with you, right? So that they'll, <laughs> they're willing to put pressure on, on purchasing, but essentially build a, a business case that neutralizes or eliminates perceived alternatives to doing business with you, right? That's all you want to do. And once you get to that point on the chessboard, like you said, you start thinking to yourself, look, this is really, they're not going to get rid of me. Like this was, this would be too hard. They're going (laughs) to bring in someone they don't know and start all over again. I mean, it took them a year to get to the point where we can all speak the same language. They're going to start over with someone on a project that's really important for them. No, they're calling it that they trust. So I think that, I think that's where salespeople, really gain like this confidence is that I've got alternatives and those alternatives can be just, i got a big pipeline and I just don't have time for exactly. this hassle or, you know, or, you know, I, I've, I know that I'm the right solution for you and you can yeah. keep playing these games with me, but if you make the wrong decision, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to tank.
1: And getting purchasing in the same room as you and your key stakeholder, the most senior person you can get when you get that dynamic going, purchasing normally back down. Because yes. they know, it's like, okay, we need to run a governance process. There are certain contractual terms where they say yeah, around IP. You know, IP is an old favorite. You know, as a, as a client, we own all the IP that's generated on this project. Yes. Well, the response is you go, hmm, well, that would stop us from ever working ever again. If you'd like to pay us $50 million for the privilege, yeah. for sure. And then purchasing go, that's outrageous. And you go, tell me what I will do. Um, We own the IP, but we'll license it to you in perpetuity, free of charge, as a piece of IP. Yes. Because we're a consulting firm and you can't, it's a restraint of trade to take our intellectual knowledge and not allow us to apply it elsewhere. Yes. And things calm down again. It's like, okay, fine. Exactly. Like we don't do work for hire
0: and, you know, on our in our contracts, it's in broad letters with a line underneath it. So very good. Hey, Mike, listen, I, this has been an amazing conversation and it's been oh, so good that I want, I, if you would be willing to do this, I want to invite you back and, oh, and maybe we can yeah, have a couple to. more conversations. I love to talk about the RFP scorecard that you've got. Yeah. I'd really, really like to talk about contracts and you know how you help people understand contracts because I think some of the, like even just this end conversation around contracts, a lot of people don't understand it. Maybe we can bring it bring back and talk about uh, contracts yeah, and issues with contracts. I think it'd be fantastic. Tell us one more time how people can get in touch with you.
1: So uh, there's two things. So um, the negotiation process that I recommend to uh, sellers, uh, I've written a book. So there's a book you can buy. So if you go to Higgle, H-I-G-G-L-E dot piscari dot com, and you'll put it in the show notes, Higgle dot dot com, you can buy the book. So that's one thing. But the, oh, other what's the thing name is of the book? It's called The Higgle Book. The Higgle so, Book. Okay, good. The Higgle okay, Book. The Higgle so Book. Okay. This, this thing here. Awesome. It's a workbook. It's a good old fashioned notebook that you write your deals in. Perfect.
0: i love it. Very good. Okay. So, um, and make sure we get that we'll put that in the show notes and what else, Yeah. how else can the other thing is, if you? you
1: just want, um, you know, no one wants newsletters anymore. No one wants the kind of every fortnight newsletter. So what I do is I send negotiating tips every fortnight. Here's a situation. Here's some practical things you could do to get over that uh, situation and to get a better deal. So if you go to biscari.com and just sign up for our Our content, uh, then you'll get a fortnightly piece of content from me that's practical, applicable, you can do better deals.
0: Wonderful. Awesome. Mike, I I tell you what, it's been this, 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 con I mean, this whole conversation is like elevated, (laughs) you know, my thoughts about negotiation. I love this conversation. This is like the, this is why I love sales, like this type of chessboard game that we play. uh, It's been wonderful. It's been so nice to meet you and uh, we're going to get you back on. And I look forward to our next conversation.
1: That'd be a great job. And thank you for inviting me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that kind of like the the, the difference of opinion, that's what drives the magic. I think you're a brilliant host. Thank you for inviting me. Wonderful. Thank you so
0: much. And don't forget, go pick up your tickets to Outbound right now. The Outbound Conference is at outboundconference.com, outboundconference.com, the biggest, baddest conference in sales. I'll see you next time on the Sales Gravy Podcast.